Hello everyone, it's the 11th of March. Uh, my name's Simon King. Welcome to the First Take podcast, First Word Farmers' weekly roundup of the um, in, most important news stories in the pharma and biotech markets. Um, as always, I'm with my colleague, uh, Michael Flanagan. Michael, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Ready and excited to talk some drugs here. Good stuff. Let's kick off with this um, kind of narrative which has sort of gained momentum over the last week or so which is this idea this kind of growing school of thought that suddenly the FDA uh, which is I guess has been perceived as being kind of quite lenient in recent years suddenly seems to have become um, a bit more conservative uh, regarding its attitude to new drug approvals. Sure. And you know it's a question of whether it's perception or reality and uh you know, we, we just don't know at this point, but the narrative is based on this bolus of, you know, sort of negative events that have come down um, through, let's see, it's, you know, a couple of just examples, there was the accelerated approvals have been pulled sort of left and right, it seems like lately for, for checkpoint inhibitors. And there was the last minute ADCOM for Fibrogen <clears throat> and their chronic kidney, kidney disease uh, candidate. This was after sort of not expecting an ADCOM to be held. Uh, Acadia's Nuplazid, you know, Acadia announced um, they unexpectedly received word from FDA that, you know, there's some deficiencies in their uh, application for the Nuplazid in uh, dementia drugs. So there's just these, um, you know, a bolus of negative events. And given the backdrop of there being no commissioner, you know, I think it's it's almost um, a tree the FDA is having, you know, maybe being a shift at the agency when in reality, you know, maybe there's just a couple, um, you know, uh, events that have nothing to do with each other and they uh, just happen to occur simultaneously when there was no commissioner. So, you know, who knows uh, what exactly is going on, but it's uh, it's certainly a, a narrative that is out there and uh, one that we'll be watching uh, moving forward, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like investors in particular are always quite keen to kind of read the tea leaves where the FDA is concerned and kind of try and gauge um, you know, whether it's being kind of lenient or less lenient. Um, I mean, obviously, one of, one of the things you mentioned that we've spoken about in previous weeks is this, this recent spate of accelerated approvals for checkpoint inhibitors that have been, you know, voluntarily withdrawn by companies, but those voluntary withdrawals have happened after discussions with the FDA. Um, the interesting thing is that today the agency has actually announced that it's going to convene a three-day adcom in April where it's going to discuss a number of other outstanding accelerated approvals for these drugs, where the confirmatory data is negative, as, as per the ones that it's it's already asked the companies to withdraw. But I think um, my kind of reading of it is that the ones that have already been withdrawn seem to be kind of the low-hanging fruit, um, you know, for drugs in areas where they're probably not used that frequently. Um, but some of these ones that will be discussed in April, for example, um, you know, Tocentric, Roche's Tocentric in triple negative breast cancer or Keytruda in gastric cancer. If you speak to key opinion leaders in those fields, these drugs are used in certain uh, patients, even though, you know, there's been no definitive survival data that's been presented. So I think, you know, it, it's part of that broader narrative, but it's going to be 
it's going to be kind of interesting to see how the discussion evolves um, around more of these accelerated approvals being kind of withdrawn potentially. Um, I, I obviously the FDA is you know is going out of its way to ensure that the the integrity of the accelerated pathway is maintained. I mean, it's hard to not think about how the FDA is operating without thinking about aducanumab, which is obviously um, the uh, the Biogen Alzheimer's disease drug, which we're kind of waiting for a decision on. It's it's one of the industry's kind of big potential flashpoints this year. I know that Eli Lilly has got some data for a similar Alzheimer's disease drug being presented at a major medical meeting this weekend. Uh, Michael, is there anything we should be kind of looking out for in particular when that data is presented? Yeah, so the, the big day is Saturday that everybody's looking forward to from this phase two trailblazer alls trial. <clears throat> I think the, you know, the big thing that people are expecting is no surprises. You know, Eli Lilly has been a lot more forthcoming than a lot of companies typically are with their top line announcement uh, recently. You know, they basically provided the magnitude of benefit on their um, primary endpoint. They uh, said that, you know, all the pre-specified secondary endpoints are headed in the right direction, although not all of them, I, I believe, hit statistical significance. So that's that will be one thing to, to watch on which se secondary endpoints didn't actually hit significance. Yeah, I think the CDR sum of boxes, which is a secondary endpoint, is going to be, you know, watched very closely because that's a traditional endpoint that people have used for Alzheimer's studies in the past. Uh, it's one of the secondary endpoints for this study. And, you know, so we'll see, you know, they haven't said it's going to hit statistical significance. If it does, obviously, that would be, you know, it would give people a little more peace of mind about Denimab and, and its um, overall efficacy profile because that's just an endpoint people are familiar with. So that's certainly something to watch. Um, but you know the, the big picture is that they've set the bar really high for this study by saying in the actual press release that they are extremely pleased with the data. So they've set the bar really high and any, you know, I think they must know that uh, people are going to have high expectations. So they must have high confidence and that there's not going to be any big surprises and, and that the data will be, uh, you know, accepted and, and seen as encouraging. Okay. Okay. And, and I guess one of the interesting questions that we're kind of seeing flying around in the background is, you know, are these data alone going to be kind of uh, sufficient um, for a regulatory filing and obviously approval? I mean, it seems a slightly crazy question, but I guess it depends on the robustness of the results. And, and, and we'll see that on Saturday, won't we? Right. And I, I think that people are expecting that's kind of a long shot, you know, based on one phase two trial when, you know, they've got another uh, study up and running already. I, you know, I think that uh, people probably see that as a long shot, but, you know, I guess you never really know. And Alzheimer's is a, is a setting where uh, the unmet need is absolutely huge. So, you know, um, I guess the question will be um, obviously asked, but I, I think that people would be very surprised if this ends up being enough for some sort of filing. Okay. Okay. Um, and the last thing I, I wanted to kind of talk about today, uh, another interesting uh, bit of news this week was the announcement from Novartis that um, Kanakinumab, um which is uh, a drug it's been developing for for non-small cell lung cancer has actually failed um, its first uh, phase three study. Um, 
Michael, I don't, is this a story you've been following at all? It's a, it's kind of an interesting kind of product for a number of reasons. One of them because of the way it actually ended up in phase three testing in the first place. Right for for lung cancer anyway, because you know I, I know that you've written about this, so you're probably the the resident expert, I would say. But I know that you know they were they were running phase three trials in uh, you know basically atherosclerosis and cardiovascular indications, um, and I think it didn't work out as the phase three canopy one study a few years ago. But one of the you know just sort of observations that was made was that you know lung cancer was reduced by some huge number like 60 or 70 percent in that study so they decided to to test it in lung cancer and yeah. uh, you know they actually made a big push into it and I think this is the first readout right yeah that's right I mean yeah I mean it wasn't it's it's one of those uh it's one of those issues that's been sort of debated this week and it's been it was debated at the time i mean it, it like you said it wasn't a small signal it was a it was a very it was a very definite sign that suggested that this drug could well um reduce the incidence of lung cancer um i think the question is really and the question that will be asked more now that it's failed the first phase 3 study this was in second line patients who've already been treated with chemo and possibly immunotherapies in some cases. So these are fair, patients with fairly advanced disease. This is argu arguably the study um, that it might have had the least chance of working in. It's also being studied in adjuvant non-small cell lung cancer and first line small, small cell lung cancer with a PD-1 inhibitor. But I think it's that it's that the question that will be asked now is, um, you know, was, was, is Novartis or was Novartis right to move so quickly and so broadly? Uh, you know, into um, this broad phase three program um, in lung cancer based on what is, you know, is, a, is an observation. Um, obviously, the study that they've run previously, the cardiovascular indication, you know, it, that they hadn't done, uh, you know, it wasn't designed to identify uh, incidents of lung cancer cases. Um, but, you know, it, 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 what it would have shown, if this had been positive, it would have been a potentially a major breakthrough because it's that idea of treating or targeting inflammation to treat cancer. Um, and I think it's, you know, this is kind of an interesting product and it's going to remain an interesting story to watch because in some ways it completely encapsulates Novartis's kind of attitude to drug development, which has been you know, we go after innovation, we go after areas that have been kind of, you know, aren't being tested by other people. You know, the CEO is kind of happy to diversify into different areas. They've, they've moved into gene therapy. They're happy to spend money on acquisitions and platform deals. Um, but I guess one of the issues with this is, you know, my, my reading of it was, you know, was it maybe a slightly quick move to get into the lung cancer market, um, which is which is a market where Novartis kind of doesn't have a presence. Um, it certainly doesn't have a present presence with checkpoint inhibitors. Um, but we'll see. Um, phase one, uh, phase three data in first line lung cancer should read out later um, this year, and I think the adjuvant data reads out in um, I think it's going to be twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three. There is a kind of there's a bit of a suggestion that actually in the adjuvant setting that might be closest to the um, to the cardiovascular study that Novartis ran previously, where I guess it's, you know, it's kind of almost being kind of used um, inadvertently as a kind of a preventative medication. 
So that will be interesting to watch. But um, but yeah. Um, but um, thanks, Michael, for our weekly roundup. And um, I'll catch up with you next week. And thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>